As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, please, um, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word. What a, a delight and honor. How can we even express it? That we have it. We give you thanks for the gifts that you've given to us, uh, particularly through the apostles and prophets who uh, the very foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone, uh, giving to us uh, this this word. And so we're grateful that you so worked in their lives that they could write exactly what you desired for them to write and that we even so many generations later continue to have it that we may be blessed and led and given grace. So please now I pray that uh, your word would work in us in precisely the manner for which you intended. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to Ephesians uh, in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, begin, begin reading with verse 7 and read through verse 16. Ephesians in chapter 4, please. This is the word of God. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave uh, gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that it He also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And together we say... The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now quickly, as we come to this passage, remember that uh, in the first three chapters, Paul laid out the truth of our salvation, that God has initiated this salvation to us as our kids were taught uh, this week, chosen and called, that that we were uh, chosen by the Lord before the foundations of the earth. Amazing truth for us to reflect upon and that he called us. To be his. And he needed to do that. We couldn't do it ourselves because as he expresses to us that we're dead uh, apart from Christ. Uh, dead in our trespasses and sins. We're enslaved to such as our own sinfulness and the world and its ways and even Satan himself. And so only God can make us alive. And so he did that. He made us alive together with Christ. He saved us. And we've been reconciled, reconciled to God, but we also realize that by the cross, we've also been reconciled to each other. So we've been joined together with God and we've been joined to each other, this work of Christ. And so Paul prays during these opening chapters in a couple of ways. First, he prays that we would understand what God has done. That we would understand the hope to which we've been called. We would understand the great inheritance that is ours. And we would understand and know the great power which is towards us. But not only that, he prays that we'd be strengthened within. 
may be strengthened in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That is, that Christ may permanently dwell in us in such a way as to work in us, as to remodel, if you will, our hearts into a, into a dwelling place that's fitting for him, that's home to him, that he looks around and he says, yes, I can see myself here. This is, this is where I can, I can be and I can live. So he works and he, to, 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 in such a way that he may dwell in our hearts through faith, so that we then, because Christ is there, being rooted and grounded in love, of course, where Christ is, there's, there's love, being rooted and grounded in life, in love, may really know this love, the, the, the width of it, and the breadth of it, and the depth of it, and the height of it. We may know the love of Christ, which is unknowable, of course, but, but that we may really know it as he lives within us. So then that we may, as he puts it here, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that's where he ends that chapter 3. And then chapter 4 begins by him saying, now we need, to, we need to live worthy of this calling to which we've been called. So he begins then to move from that which is true because of what God has done. And he says, now, now here I want to see the outworking of my prayer. I want to see the outworking of Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. I want to see the outworking of, of, of the love of God that's in you. I want to see you attain to the fullness of God. I want to see you grow in that. So on the one hand, he tells us what God has done. And now he says, because of what God has done, this is how you're to live. And remember, we said, that's the order of it. It always begins with what God has done, and then we live that out. And so when he says that we're to live worthy of the calling to which we've been called, he isn't saying that we need to prove ourselves worthy so that we can be called. He's saying we need to live in such a way that's consistent with what God has done in our lives. And he says now to do that, to live worthy of our calling, you remember in those opening verses of chapter 4, he says we must do it together. There must be a unity that we maintain. Because God has designed us, God has designed our being able to live this out. That we're able to live it out only when we do it together. Only as we do it as part of church. Right? As this assembly, as this gathering, this group of people. He's united us with himself and he's united us with others. And he says, now, if you're going to live this out, you have to be united with each other. So you have to maintain this unity uh, of the spirit and the bond of peace. When he says maintain it, he says it's already been established. You've already been joined together. And so now you need to live that out. We realize that we've been joined together. He says it in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, for he himself, that is Christ, for Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one. So he's made us both one. And then in verse 15, he says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. So he's making one new humanity, really. One new people. A new company of people. And he goes on to talk about that. That through the spirit we have one access to the father. So that we're no longer strangers and aliens. But we're fellow citizens uh, with the saints. So we're all together citizens of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. And that we're members of the household of God. Of the same family. So united that there's a sense. A real spiritual sense in which we're brothers and sisters. We belong to each other you see. 
And then he says that we're a temple being built together and, 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 and God lives among us. Because that's what a temple is. A temple is a place where God lives. And so if we're being built up together to be that temple, then, then that's where God lives. So, so here we are together, joined together. And now he's saying, you need to live that out. The worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Which means you have to do it together. You have to be united. You can't do it alone. No Lone Ranger people, no Lone Ranger Christians out there, you see. We have to do it together. We're united together. And, and he unites us together so that we can live worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Apart from it, we'll die. We have to do this, united, you see, together. So he says, maintain the unity of the spirits and the bond of peace. How do you do that? Well, he says, well, you must do it with all humility. You must do it with gentleness. You must do it with patience. You must do it bearing with each other in love, you see. And while those are easy words to say, they're really hard to execute. He says, well, it's going to take every effort. So he says, make every effort. Be diligent about it. Be eager. Get on with this quickly. Don't let any time uh, lapse here. Just go for it. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But now as we come into verse 7, he's, 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 he's changing just a bit. Same theme, just a little sort of different verse, if you will. And, and he's saying now, in order to do that, in order to maintain this unity, in order to live together, in order to live worthy of this calling together, Christ gives us gifts to enable us to do that. If we're going to live worthy of the calling, he's going to give us gifts. But he gives these gifts in the context of church. He gives these gifts in the context of the community. Oh yeah, individuals receive them, but only so that they can serve the rest. Notice how he puts it in verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us. So he's moving from the one being unity together, now talking about particular ones of us. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ gives gifts, you see. To each one of us. And he's going to go on to say that he gives those gifts so that together we can grow up. Without them we won't be able to. Alone we won't be able to. Together with these gifts then we'll be able to. Um, so it isn't that we're all alike. You know I mentioned last Sunday it would be really happy for me if everybody were like me. Uh, that would make it so much easier to get along with you. Although people who know me don't think that. Uh, but, 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 but I think it would be anyway. Um, but but, but it isn't, it isn't, we're very different, you know, in all kinds of ways. And even as God gifts us, he gifts us differently. He makes us different from one another. <laughs> if we don't already start out that way, which we do. Different backgrounds, different races, different nationalities, different cultures, different languages, uh, different personalities, you see, uh, different abilities, uh, different likes and dislikes, all those kinds of things become uh, varied, you see. And then he says, I'm going to add to that, I'm going to gift you differently, right? Uh, and so here we are. And he says, but this will make you live worthy of the calling because this will cause you to be dependent on me and each other. So you'll grow together in this unity. And he says, this comes because of the victory of Christ. Notice how he puts it in verse 8. He says, therefore it says, this is a quote from Psalm 68. Um, 
therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It's about God really being uh, enthroned or a king being enthroned, God being enthroned. And in those days when a king was victorious, he would ride into town with all these captives following behind him. And he received gifts uh, from men because he was victorious. But if he was a good king, he received gifts from men so he could give gifts. And so, so Paul just gets right to it uh, and says that... Uh, he gave gifts to men. That's what Jesus did when he ascended on high. He, he, he conquered sin and death, you see. And, and then he gives gifts to us that we might, we might live out his victory. And so verse 9, this is somewhat confusing at times. He says, he, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended to the lower regions, the earth? Let the comma work for you there. He's not trying to say anything really strange here. He's just talking about the incarnation. That Jesus came to the earth. Uh, lower regions, the earth, same thing. He who descended as one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things, particularly his people, particularly his church. He wants to fill us with all the fullness of God. He wants to fill us with himself, you see. And so how's he going to do that? Well, it says he gives gifts, verse 11. And we know, if you're a Bible reader, you know there's various passages of Scripture that talks about gifts of the Holy Spirit. These here in this passage talk about gifts given by Christ. Same thing, right? Because Christ ascended and he poured out his Spirit. And through his Spirit, he gave gifts to men. That was the means. Paul's just sort of short uh, cutting all of that just to say, remember, this comes because Christ was victorious. And he bought his church. And so now he's going to bless his church with gifts. He does that through the Holy Spirit. But just to take a look at these gifts, if you will, particularly how we understand them. Uh, turn it back to Romans in chapter 12 very quickly. Romans chapter 12. Again, talking about grace and talking about Christ's gifts. Verse 3. Uh, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You see, we're still one body, many members. And we're members of each other. We're united together. We're hooked, if you will, together. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, gifts, this grace from Jesus that comes to us, each one, um, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith of service and serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And you see, so these gifts are given. And, and why are they given? They're given to bless others. Um, if prophecy, to prophesy in service, to serve, to teach, to teach, uh, to exhort, then exhort uh, the one who, in generosity, you see, does acts of mercy. And then, of course, the probably the most well-known is this passage in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. I won't read all of those chapters, of course, but just in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, if you get there quickly, verse 4 says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, a variety of service, but the same Lord, varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in, in everyone. 
to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, you see. Why are gifts given by Christ through the Holy Spirit? Well, for the common good, you see. You have a gift in one sense. It isn't for you, that is to say. It isn't for you to keep. It will be a blessing to you, perhaps. But only a blessing as you use it. Only a blessing as you bless others, you see. It's, it's given for the common good. They're sovereignly given. And they're given to us, not to keep, but to use, to bless others. Um, verse 11 then. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then before our time of confession, I read from First uh, Peter in chapter 4. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, his manifold grace, his grace that varies, grace that that looks a bit different, perhaps one person to another, different gifts, you see. And so he says, use it as good stewards of God's varied, varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, that's the end of it. Given to, for our common good so that God would be glorified through the great victory of Christ. He's, 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 he's glorified through the great victory of Christ in the context of not just one individual Christian, but through us all together, you see, revealing, showing forth Christ. And how do we do that? By loving each other. And Jesus said, everybody will know you're my disciples if you love each other the way I've loved you. You see, when we're loving the way that Jesus has loved, people will see Jesus. Why? Because nobody loves like Jesus. You'll see it, you see. You'll glorify me. So you have these gifts so that you can walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called and the calling to which we've been called is to be followers of Jesus. Those who believe in him and are transformed by his very presence in our lives and then live this out, of course. Now notice very quickly the gifts that have been given uh, here. Now, these are rather interesting as Paul lays them out um, in this particular letter. Because uh, many of the other gifts, if we look at the gift lists, are, are gifts given like mercy or, or, or teaching or um, generosity. But here it reads as if he gives gifts of particular people who have particular offices or authority in the church. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... So we get the impression that when Paul says apostles and prophets here, he's referring to the same ones that he's referred to before. For instance, in chapter 2 and verse 20, he says that we're members of the household of God and we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And that is those apostles and prophets who built the foundation for the church, Paul being one of them. And in, 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 in that sense, a rather restricted sense of the use of these expressions. I mean, the word apostle just means one who's sent out. But in this context, one who had actually seen the resurrected Jesus. Those apostles. 
and those early prophets who were used by God, who weren't necessarily apostles, but those early prophets, like Mark or like Luke, who were able to write the scripture for us, to give us the very foundation of this word. Then evangelists like, like Philip is called an evangelist in Acts chapter 8 or Timothy is called an evangelist as well even though he's kind of like a church planter. He's a pastor in, in Ephesus. And, and so these evangelists who take the gospel and they, they take it out. It's very from the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that they gave to us this truth of, of, of the gospel and then they spread it and they take it out so that the church can be built up if you will. And then pastors and teachers. Then there's a discussion, if you read about these things, as to whether that's one or two, pastor slash teacher, or pastors and teachers. Spend the rest of your life thinking about that. But for me, pastors teach and teachers pastor, and so they kind of all all go together. But but we get the sense that that pastors are those who shepherd. I think it's, in fact, I think that's the translation here in the English Standard Version, shepherds. Other versions, pastor, same thing. Shepherd, you know what a shepherd does? Nurture, to guide, to guard, to lead, to discipline, to disciple. So what Paul's saying is that we have gifts given to the church to help us to live worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And so we need to be part of the church so we can be blessed by these gifts by having the word with evangelists who build up the church, with pastors who lead us and teachers who teach us. See, been given. Without being part of the church, you'll miss out on that. He says he's given those gifts. Now here's the reason he's done that. Verse 12. He says to equip the saints, that's us, that's all believers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so, on the one hand, these ones gifted as apostles, prophets, blah, 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 they're, they're um, themselves um, doing ministry. That's their ministry. But, but their ministry is to build up others, to, to enable others to serve, to use their gifts in order to serve well, you see, for the building up of the body of Christ. And then he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Now you may think about that. And you may say, well, I thought we were already unified. (laughs) I thought we were to maintain the unity. And now he says we're to attain some kind of unity. Well, of course that's the case. Yesterday, I had the great delights, as I do a number of times every year, to do a wedding of people that I loved. I mean, I've known... Aubrey since he was like three years old. And so one of the great things about being old and staying in the same place for a long time is you get to do things like that. And so, so uh, it was a, a great delight. But on the one hand, I, I said to them that uh, God was doing a work that day that when they entered into this sanctuary, they weren't husband and wife, but when they left, they would be. He was uniting them together as husband and wife. But we also know, if you've been married more than like an hour, that you have to grow into that. I mean, it's the true, it's fact in heaven. You're united, but uh, maybe not at the bathroom sink. 
Right? There might be some difficulties uh, that arise in various places. And you go, uh, and you have to grow into that. And so, on the one hand, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they shall be living this out and becoming one flesh over the course of their lives, I suspect, in some way. And so, so that's the same thing here, you see. In the same way of being believers, we've been declared righteous, justified by God. On the other hand, now he says, now grow into that, and I'm going to sanctify you. So grow up in that kind of thing. And the kingdom of God is here, but, but it's still not yet in its fullness. And so here's the sense. We've been united. We've got to live this out and maintain this for, for the glory of God and being able to live out this calling. But also, we're attaining to it all the time. We're growing up in it. And so he says, so you've, I've given you gifts of these apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. So you need to be part of the church in order to be blessed by them. So to equip the saints for the work of of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain. Now listen to what we're going to attain. And these, these aren't utterly different things that he lists here. These are like three sides of the same coin. I just said that to make sure you're listening. You should be going, that's that's not right. Something wrong with that. Um, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, you see. So he gives us these gifts so that we can, we can attain to the unity of the faith. That is, what is true? You know, at any one point in time, in the context of a particular church life, in the context of the church, there are those who believe and yet still may not have all everything nailed down as to what is really true. Um, I remember years ago, a dear friend came to faith and, and I thought he was growing by leaps and bounds and I think he was and all was well. And he came in and about six months later, he came into my office. I was teaching at that time and not a pastor. And he came into my office and he said, so tell me about this cross thing. <laughs> I said, oh... There's a few details. Uh, now, he knew these things, but not as well as he should have. And so, so it needed to be taught, you see. And so we need, we need to grow up in these, in these things. And so we have the word of God by the apostles and the prophets to equip us, you see. We, we have evangelists who, who guard the gospel, as Paul said to Timothy. Guard this gospel. Don't dilute it. Don't let it change. Keep it pure, just like this. And so, so when you want to hear the gospel, you see, if there is an evangelist in your midst, go, tell me the gospel. Get me back to the guts, the basics of it, you see. Train me up in this. Equip me so that I really know this, so I can really share this too. So, and we have, through the church, we have various summaries that help us a great deal. The Apostles' Creed is a great help to us. Uh, the EPC in our own denomination, we have a little document called The Essentials of Faith, which I commend to you. Very helpful to go back and look at and go, yes, this is what we believe. The Westminster Confession of Faith, you're going to get longer. The Heidelberg Confession, other great professions of faith that summarize for us uh, the teaching of the scripture. Very helpful to us. Of course, we have the scripture. We're to read it from cover to cover to cover to cover to cover to cover to cover. To cover. We continue to read it. So we have the context for all of this and so we can see how it is that God lays lays this out. But you see, over time, that we might come as a people of God to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The little word knowledge is a very important one. 
Because it means a knowledge by way of experience. And the two of them, you see, unity of the faith, the faith, truth, and the knowledge of the Son of God go together. You can't separate them. Because it isn't that we just learn stuff out of the book so that we're able to take a multiple choice test and we can pass it. But we're also then to know the Son of God. To know that when the Bible says he died for the sins of sinners, to say, I know he died for my sins. Well, when the, he says he loves, we are able to say, I know he loves me. Well, when he says he'll be with his people, you'll be able to say, I know that he's with me, you see. And so you see, together as a group of people, as we've been equipped by apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, to be able to live in such a way that we can share life with each other so that we can help each other know the truth and also have this experiential understanding, this knowledge of the Son of God where he's really dealt with us, dealt with me individually, dealt with us as a group. I learned so much about the Son of God from you. Because he doesn't deal with me in every way that he might deal with you. He's taken some of you through experiences that I haven't been through and proven himself faithful in those experiences. And though, so when I'm with you and I see you go through those things and then you share about that with me, I come to an experience with you about the Son of God that I didn't have before. I have a book in my library that I actually don't like, but I love the title. <laughs> so I keep it just so I can look at the title. And, and it's okay. It's just, I would rewrite some of it. But um, the, the title is, Don't Waste Your Sorrows. Don't waste them. Grow in them and then share how Christ has been faithful in the midst of your sorrows so that the rest of us may come to know him better by way of even your sorrows. And I would even write, don't, don't waste your victories. Don't waste your success. Well, now don't be arrogant about it. How can we be if God has saved us, if God has come and rescued us in various ways, you see? Uh, share how he's done that. So many of you lost children and you are able to share with others the sweetness of Christ even in the midst of such a time. Others have had health issues. Some have lost jobs. Some have been desperate emotionally. In various ways. But you see, if we're separated from each other, we'll never grow, you see. But, but, but as we learn from the word of God through the apostles and prophets, though as the gospel is true for us that we get from the evangelists, and as pastors and teachers nurture us and guide us and disciple and train us, then you, can, then you see we're able to use the gifts that God has given to us and the experience that God has given to us. And we remain together and we share these things one to another. And we attain to the unity of this faith. We come to believe that which is true about Christ. And also we come to share in this experience of the work of Christ in us and among us. And, and then he goes on to say, that leads then to this mature manhood. Now, manhood, it isn't a sexist comment. It just simply means that he's, less like he said in chapter 2, making one new humanity. We grow up, we mature together. 
not just as individuals, but as a community. Again, we're, I'm so, we're so individual, individualistic, whether it's culture or whether it's just sin, I don't know how to parse that, doesn't really matter. But the fact is, we, we just think of ourselves, I need to grow, I need to grow, I need to grow. And that's true. But God says, no, 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 no. God's a southerner at this point. All y'all need to grow, right? All y'all need to grow together. I'm just not happy with one of you and this one and that one. Don't you know, I'm developing a whole new humanity, a new community of believers. And and, and you're my people for all eternity. A day will come when you will inhabit the new heavens and the new earth and I'll inhabit it with you. and, 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 And sin will be no more. And you'll be this community and you'll see it and you'll understand. Well, get on with it now. If that's your hope, get on with it now. And it's my hope, so I want you to get on with it now. It's sort of like a, if you're the coach of a team, you work with individual players, I'm sure, to make them better in every way. But, but that's not your goal. Your goal at the end of the day is to have a team together that has a team identity, that has a team maturity, that has a team can handle adversity, as a team can handle difficulties, as a team can share successes together. And so that's the sense of it with us together, you see. We need to be together in these things so that as a church, you see, we're glorifying God. And I think that's what the Lord wants to see. That's why we're the body of Christ, not so much individually, but collectively, so that when the Lord looks out over his whole church, what does he see? He sees his son. When he looks at one of us individually, he says, I see my son. (laughs) But you need some help. You need some others around you. My son's way bigger than you are. So I need this, the whole body of Christ from beginning to end, generation after generation, to reflect my son, you see. For you're his body. But you won't be if you're scattered. You won't be if you're divided. You have to be united together. You have to be a part of this whole thing you see that we call church and this then fills us up to the measure of the stature the stature of the fullness of Christ and the alternative is not good at all the alternative is that we stay children well children are delightful generally right children are delightful we had a wonderful delightful week with children. And yet, we would really be sad if the kids who went through a vacation Bible school 15 years ago still acted like eight-year-olds. Right? And, and we know we have to have lots of adults. When we say we had 400 kids and 700 total people, that's a lot of adults getting involved in the lives of these kids. Why? Because we can't trust them to be alone. And we shouldn't, you know... Uh, they flit from one thing to another. They're easily led and misled. And so he says, in order to really grow up, you see, there must be some among you and I'll gift you as the church with apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now, they're no better than the rest of you. They didn't get these positions because they're holier than the rest of you by by nature. No, no, no. I chose them and I gifted them and I, I saved them in the same way that, that I saved you. Don't get hung up on that. You just happen to be the ones I chose to do this. And the gift to do this, you see. And I work in them to do this. But 
But without them, you see, without them, and you can't grow up. And so every wind of doctrine that comes through, every human cunning, that is, every philosophy of human beings that's designed by the evil one to turn your head from Christ, and every craftiness and deceitful schemes, you'll fall. He says, the way I protect you is by these gifts that I give to the church. And we know that even they fail these gifts at times, or at least the ones who are called by these names. He says, you need them. This is how I do it. In the end of the day, what you'll see then, as we live together, as we grow together, is we'll see a body that's building itself up. Each one doing its own part, having been equipped by apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in such a way that we'll be growing up in love together, in love together, serving one another. Let me just end with this thought. We do realize, of course, that God gives each of us what someone else needs. And he gives what we need to someone else. He does that. And then he says, love each other. I've distributed all of this unevenly. I've distributed in various ways. Now love each other. There's a fascinating group of passages. We read them from time to time. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are about these gifts that are given. Chapter 13 is about love. And it's in the middle of all that, not just because of some numerical uh, coincidence, but because it's the more excellent way. He says, you know, you can have all the gifts in the world, you can have all of this, but if you don't have any love, it's not going to work. Because the only reason, the only way this works, the only way that you're able to live out this calling that you have is to live it out together. And the only way you can live out it together is if you're building yourself up in love. Because if not, you'll never share. You'll never grow from each other. You'll never learn from each other. You'll never be guarded by each other. You'll never be protected by each other. So maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Live in humility, in gentleness, in patience, bearing with each other over the long haul, over the difficult times, and a day will come when you'll see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, pray for us today that you would grant grace, church, grace. That we may, as a just a small piece of your body, to be able together live worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That you would enable us to grow together in love that we may be built up. 
in a way that is glorifying to you, in a way that shows our community and anyone else looking on um, who Jesus is. So please be with us. Help us to love each other. Help us to share with each other. Help us to stick with each other. Uh, Help us to bless each other. Thanks for glimpses that we have that you're at work in us like our VBS and uh, like our kids coming together and going off in various mission trips and coming back and sharing experience and life with each other and with us. And the times, Father, when you grant some to be in difficulty so others may help them. When you grant some great triumphs so that we can all share in that triumph and see that you are faithful to all your promises. So please, I pray, enable enable us to grow up that we may live worthy of the calling to which we've been called. This I pray in Jesus' name.